his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. And when I saw this headline, uh, I I was as disgusted as anyone else would be. New York Post was one of the first news organizations I saw that reported it. And the headline is Twitter refused to remove child porn because it didn't, quote, violate policies, end quote. And that's as a lawsuit. Now, joining in the lawsuit, there's actually a couple of different legal entities and two of which are joining us tonight. Let's introduce both of our guests. First is a senior legal counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation and the Law Center. Peter Gantala, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. And also part of the lawsuit is a partner at the Haba Law Firm. Lisa Haba, thank you again for uh, coming on to KMOX. Hi, Ryan. Thanks so much. This is a, a, a pretty big deal, and I know that a lot of the social media networks have been uh, they've been documenting and people have been documenting of the social media networks, just the pure amount of trash that is being put through them. Uh, I saw a report over the weekend. I think it was I mean, we're upwards of 90 plus million photographs of child exploitation is uploaded uh, uh, every year on some of these networks. And uh, a lot of it is going through Facebook, Twitter. And we even saw earlier, a couple of months back, one of the large pornographic websites on the internet that were confronted with some of the materials of minors. And what they decided to do was uh, try to get rid of anything unverified. And then they turned to the other social media networks and said, uh, you should be doing the same thing too which they haven't. Um, so I wanted to back up and, and just kind of give a, a baseline of what's going on in social media today when it comes to the exploitation of children and the things that you guys are seeing. Sure, Ryan. I think one of the things that we're, we've uncovered during our investigation leading up to the filing of this lawsuit is that while what happened to John Doe was absolutely horrific, he deserves so much more than what Twitter gave to him. And he went through irreparable harm for the nine days and 167,000 views of his, his exploitation videos. But what we saw through our investigation is that the child porn that is on Twitter, child sexual abuse material that's on Twitter is rampant. And, you know, I, I don't know that we can speak to other platforms at this point in time, but we certainly can speak to the investigation that we have mounted at this point. And we have seen such a prolific amount of this type of material 
going reported and not being removed from the platform. And that has been a consistent pattern that our investigation has uncovered, has not just been an isolated incident, but has been continually occurring. Yeah, so when and John Peter, Doe did, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I was, before I we no, get into the John Doe's case, I was going to mention to Peter, because when I was on the National Center on Sexual Exploitation's uh, website, you have a form people can fill out when they can, they can reach out to you if they have been a victim of this. And I'm curious, how many people reach out to you? Is this something that's pretty common where people, uh, in particular minors, have been exploited and they're reaching out and they're trying to find something they can do about it? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. It's it's a good question. It's a sad problem, um, particularly with, with minors. Um, what has happened in John Doe's situation is, is not unusual, sadly. Um, in, in his situation in particular, he was having a conversation, an intimate uh, conversation on Snapchat, and he thought it was with someone who was roughly his age. He thought it was with a peer, and it turned out that whoever was on the other end had very different ideas, and they were planning to uh, extort him, blackmail him, and create illicit child sex abuse material for distribution on the Internet. And he had no way of knowing that. And at the National Center for Sexual Exploitation, um, this is a fact pattern that we've we've seen repeatedly. Um, it's also not unusual for this type of interaction online to begin on Snapchat. And that's certainly how it started in John Doe's situation. But then John Doe's situation became even worse because mm. after the initial interaction with whoever it was that was um, blackmailing him online, then uh, he thought that it had stopped. He, he began this interaction at the age of 13. Um, he, was, he was threatened horribly by uh, the, these individuals. They were telling him if, if, they didn't, if he didn't um, send more pictures and create more material that was graphic sexually, um, that they were going to contact his family and his community, his coach, his pastor, et cetera. And he just didn't know what to do. Eventually, that communication wound down and there was no more interaction, and he thought that everything was okay. But three years later, at the age of 16, the uh, abusive material, the, the child sex abuse material that was depicting him, began being distributed on Twitter. And Ryan, I know you know a lot about Twitter. Um, suffice it to say, it's a very robust communication platform that is... Um, perfect for broad scale distribution. And in John Doe's case, uh, this, this material was really not on Twitter very long before it was distributed broadly, as, as Lisa pointed out, 167,000 views. And that was just over a pe the period of a few days. Um, and then, of course, Twitter behaves in a way that kind of ripples out. There's tweets and then the retweets. There were over 2,200 retweets, and who knows what that means in terms of how many people were actually viewing this um, child pornography, each viewing a separate crime against John Doe and his family. Uh, let me point out, too, in the way that Twitter normally operates, when there's something of questionable material, there's a way for you, there's a mechanism for you to report it. And it's hard for me to believe that hundreds of thousands of times this this uh, photograph or videos or whatever could make an impression on someone else's device. And there wasn't people reporting it, either that or the reporting was doing no good and they weren't doing anything. And I think that's another part of the story is the way Twitter handled it. 
Well, hundred percent. That's, that's part of the story. And in the specific case, there were two users that were broadly distributing John Doe's, um, the, the images that depicted the video that depicted John Doe. One of those users we discovered during the course of our investigation had already been reported to Twitter for distributing child sex abuse material almost a month earlier. Mm. And yet that account was still active, running, distributing child pornography um, by the time that it started distributing John Doe's uh, um, the, the images that depicted John Doe, and it, and of, of course, Twitter didn't take it down right away. And I think that's what you're alluding to. Um, yeah. You know, when when Twitter has an entire process that basically says, "Show us that you are who you say you are," show us mm-hmm. that why you believe this would be child pornography, and uh, through the course of that, John Doe was able to substantiate his age. He was 16 at the time. He was able to show that uh, they, um, he explained that the images depicted him as a 13-year-old, depicted another minor as a 13-year-old, and uh, and yet Twitter followed up with him and in writing told him, "This we're not going to take any further action on this because this material appears to not violate our community standards. Oh, that's just horrifying. I, I can't imagine what goes through the family at this point when something like this has just been devastating, not only for the, uh, for the kid and John Doe in this case, but years later it pops back up and then the parents and everything else, the repercussions that are behind it. Um, and I got to ask with this too, the amount of, the amount of mental anguish that goes through knowing that your kid was sexually exploited and you continue to see them being, uh, exploited online over and over again in uh, the helpless feeling that you can't stop it because you're up against a big tech company that's allowing it for them to happen on their platform. I, I got to say, this has got to be just devastating for that family. You know, we've had a lot of communication, of course, with the family and with the mother of John Doe in particular. She has expressed somewhat of exactly what you just described, you know, knowing that, you know, her job, is to protect her child. And when she found out about this was the day that she found out her son was suicidal because of how many people in his school had viewed it and the backlash and bullying he received as a result of his exploitation video being being leaked through Twitter. And so not only did she feel so helpless based on what was going on, you know, with her own child, but even after she made sure that his life was saved and he was at least stable enough to take the next steps to reporting it and trying to get Twitter take all this material down to find out that she was up against big tech and they were refusing to act, failing to act, failing her family. It's such a helpless feeling any parent would experience to think here I am trying to do everything in my power to help my child and I'm powerless. I can't do anything and the world is hurting him before my eyes and nothing can be done. It was truly a blessing that she was connected through somebody she knew to a federal agent had that connection not happened, who knows that material would still be up today. Wow. Uh, do you guys mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk to you more about this case. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Uh, joining us uh, on the line here, Senior Legal Counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, Peter Gantala, and also Lisa Haba, partner at the Haba Law Firm, talking about this case now that has been brought up against Twitter, where there have been some sexually graphic videos, photos taken of a minor. Um, Twitter 
refusing to take it down. It's just a horrifying story all the way around. We'll continue this next on Overnight America KMOX. St. Louis's weather station, KMOX. Peter Gonzalez, the senior legal counsel for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, and also Lisa Haba is part of the Haba Law Firm. Both of them working together, filing a suit jointly against Twitter, saying that they knowingly distributed a 13-year-old's uh, photographs, uh, sexually explicit photographs, videos taken under duress by sex traffickers with the intention. And then we find out later Twitter refuses to take it down. I, you know, I wanted to open this up, and Lisa, maybe I'll ask this for you first, and when it comes to this type of material that is online, this is what really concerns me a lot is that there's a difference between uh, Twitter saying that they're incapable of removing this and they're unwilling to move it. And when I hear about a company that says they're unwilling to move, uh, remove uh, minors, uh, sexually explicit photographs, videos of minors, child pornography and things like that, it's a huge line that they cross over where they're now not only distributing in this, but they're willingly allowing it to be distributed on their platform. It's such a dangerous thing. And I'm wondering what really can be done about something like this. No, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think that is a multiple leveled answer, but you know, obviously one of the things that can be done and, you know, this family attempted it right at the beginning is trying to reach out to Twitter and asking them just to do the right thing, what every citizen, what every business should do and make the responsible choice for any community and take it down. And of course, if that failed, you know, then we have legal remedies. Law enforcement can be contacted. This family did contact law enforcement and attempted to seek criminal liability, uh, criminal repercussions for the individuals that had trafficked the minor child and also who had uploaded it and distributed it, the material. Um, there also is civil liability, which is, of course, the lawsuit that we brought saying to Twitter, you had a duty and an obligation to do the right thing here. There are federal statutes and state statutes that require certain actions by you. And you failed John Doe in failing to do those things as well as refusing to take down his, his pornographic material. So I think in the legal realm, those are pretty much your options. As a, yeah. in the, you know, for those parents listening in, if you're thinking, wow, how can I make sure this doesn't happen to my kid? The one thing I will tell you is this. Predators, we never open our doors and let predators walk upstairs into our, into our homes and talk to our children. But every single day, predators are trolling online looking for vulnerable children. And every single day, predators enter into the homes unsuspecting of parents and speak to their children through online platforms, especially through social media, posing as children the same age as the vulnerable child. And so every child is at risk. And the one thing I would caution parents is it's more than just stranger danger teaching to your children about it in person. Stranger danger extends to online, and I would encourage every parent to tell their children not to speak to anybody that they don't actually know. Oh, man, this just scares me. You know, uh, any parent, this this is just frightening. And Peter, being that you're part of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, I'm wondering, is this something that's a worldwide issue? Because I know that other countries have different laws and the ways where there's consumer protections against some of these social media giants. I'm wondering if this is just an America thing or are there other countries that are battling this, too? It, it is worldwide in the sense that the, the danger is worldwide. In fact, um, as far as the investigation in John Doe's case, um, you know, some of some of the uh, forensic work that has been done with the computer suggests that there was some overseas interaction that may have taken place at certain times. Uh, the very first time I heard about any case at all that was like this, where there you had um, sexual exploitation through blackmailing, 
that began on social media was the case of a young teenager in Scotland who committed suicide, actually, because he was being blackmailed and he didn't know what to do and uh, felt like he had no options and was alone in the world. And um, that case ended up being a long fought out extradition battle between Scotland and the Latin American countries where the um, the traffickers originally started their their trafficking plot. So um, those types of things are definitely a worldwide risk. Here in the United States, we have a, a unique problem, and that is the largest technology and social media companies in the world are based here, but they don't have adequate legal accountability because of a legal environment that has been shaped by something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. You probably read a lot about that, um, Ryan, but it really is the barometer uh, in when it comes to the um, legal accountability for online companies, for device manufacturers. Um, and it's in, in the law, it's, it's rare to see something that is an absolute form of immunity. Most, most kinds of legal immunity, meaning get off the hook without any consequences, um, have some sort of a qualification to them. But the way Section 230 has been interpreted by the federal courts through the years um, has actually come very close to being absolute immunity. You've seen a lot of um, very irresponsible, even pernicious behavior uh, allowed to, to continue and, and keep happening because of Section 230 and the way it's been interpreted. But it, all you have to do is hear the name of the statute, the Communications Decency Act, to know that Congress never intended that piece of legislation to allow all kinds of the world's most harmful content to be pervasive on the internet. And mm -hmm. the truth is that Section 230 was actually designed to incentivize companies to be good corporate citizens, to carefully curate and police their platforms to make sure that illegal content was not there and to give them a safe harbor of protection when they need to remove things like obscenity and child pornography. So it's a really perverse result that we're seeing right now. So many different companies um, flat out re refusing, as Twitter has in this case, to remove illegal child sex abuse mater uh, material and um, premising that on the basis of Section 230. We're hopeful that eventually uh, the federal court system will um, embrace a more um, reasonable interpretation of Section 230. But if, if that never happens, I know that there's a bipartisan movement in Congress to reform Section 230. And this is one of those places where Democrats and Republicans agree that public safety has to come first. And that provision of law cannot be used to allow dangerous and irresponsible behavior. Yeah, and you, you look at some actions that were taken not that long ago when it came to sex trafficking and some of these different websites that were putting wanted ads and things, and then all of a sudden it was, okay, you're going to be responsible. And because a lot of times the, the sex trafficking involves minors, and it's just a, a terrible, horrifying thing. And as soon as they said you're going to be responsible, how about that? They started to cut those things out. And I think responsibility is a big part of the social media networks. The thing that scares me the most is that Twitter was given an opportunity to take this down, and they were unwilling to do so. 
that is very scary. That to me shows that the responsibility uh, w- was just being trampled over. They're, they weren't acting responsibly. And also what scares me is that photos could be taken without your permission. And if you're a parent and you have a minor, the minor can't be making decisions about things like this on their own. That shouldn't be allowed to begin with. And even these photographs were taken from one place and distributed somewhere else and redistributing things that they didn't have permission to redistribute. You know, what's crazy is that all these other websites, man, if you're a record company or if you're a famous photographer and your photographs put online, man, they'll slap you with a lawsuit two seconds and they'll take that information down. If you're on YouTube and you post a song that doesn't belong to you, they'll take that down in two seconds and they'll strike you and maybe even sue you for it. But when it comes to the sexual exploitation of children, they, they don't take a stand for things like that. It, it just makes me so angry. And I'm glad that you're fighting back. Um, this stand needs to be made. And I really hope that some legit changes are made after something like this. Thank you. We are, we are Ryan, equally thank helpful. You. Thank you so much. We really yeah, appreciate so, your time. Now, for everything that uh, we just mentioned here today, and I know that people may want to learn more about it, how can they find you guys? Like, what's the best place for them to learn more about this? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, you can find the National Center on Sexual Exploitation at endsexualexploitation.org. And uh, our, um, our national uh, number that we can be reached at is 202 202- Three nine three seven two four five. That number again is two zero two three nine three seven two four five. Right. And I, I got to say, uh, thank you for all the work that you're putting into this. And uh, Lisa, I know you're part of the the Haba Law Firm. I don't know if you represent other people. If there's any place people can look you up. Absolutely, and I appreciate that. Um, my website is www.habalaw. So that's H A B like boy A Law dot com. And our phone number is 844-HABA-LAW. So the numericals are 844-422-2529. Well, you spent uh, the last uh, half hour or so. Peter and Lisa, thank you so much, uh, thank you so much for coming on, explaining the, the situation, what has happened and what you're doing. And I wish you the best of luck. I hope we can get this junk out. And I hope that there could be some more protections to the, the children that are being exploited. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan. And they join us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. We'll take a look at your weather coming up right after the break. And right after the break, too, we're going to be joined with uh, someone that's a, a British officer, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Wilson. And very interesting look about the national grid and what happens if there is an attack on the national grid. Uh, so a couple of th- interesting mind exercises on that one. It's Overnight America KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. Man, we have some great guests this hour. I really enjoyed the last uh, couple of segments there, just talking about a huge problem. And really, I, I, I think that the social media networks, they just, it's, it's tough when you find that there is an ability for them to do the right thing, and then they decide not to do the right thing. It's sad. So uh, we'll be posting that up on the podcast, just like we podcast our interviews, including this one. Joining us now is someone who's retired, but a lieutenant colonel in the British Army. Joining us is Tim Wilson. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Very much my pleasure. When we talk about vulnerabilities here and abroad, I guess, and here in the United States, we've talked about what would happen if our grid went offline? What would happen if, and sometimes we think about it as a terrorist threat. Other times it's just could be a natural threat. We can have a solar flare come through unannounced. And next thing you know, uh, everything's blown and it takes years to rebuild the grid. That's what uh, is kind of interesting about this because you are someone that has looked into possibilities, what could happen, and then how you should react to them to best put your family in the, in the best situation possible. So uh, as someone that is retired, as part of the British Army, you were someone that did uh, ops and intelligence during the Cold War. I'm sure you've gone through a lot of these different scenarios in your training. Absolutely. Um, if I may, Ryan, a, a quick bit of background is that um, my first school was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I learned the Pledge of Allegiance before I learned God Save the Queen. But I went back and then I served 30, th- over 30 years in the British Army and learned a fair amount about nuclear warfare and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2005, I moved to America and I took citizenship um, in 2011. So I'm a proud American citizen. Um, but when I first moved over, I was living in Manhattan. And obviously that was only relatively shortly after 9-11. So I worried about what might happen and uh, looked around for, you know, in, in, the, in the worst case, as, as one should do in life, effectively. Uh, I'm obviously a huge believer in prior preparation and planning prevents poor performance. And what if? And as you mentioned, you know, if, what if the power goes out? Or even worse, what if, say, terrorists attack Manhattan with a nuclear device? Mm-hmm. We know that most people are not prepared, mostly because we can look back at the pandemic and people lost their minds over toilet paper. And I thought, oh, boy, what what if there was a big attack? Then what would people do? Because they're just not prepared. So, um, yeah, let, let's talk about these things. Let's let's talk about 
the plans that families should be putting together, the conversations they should be having. If, if you're someone that's leading your family right now, what are those things you should be doing? Well, absolutely. The first and most important thing is to talk about the worst case type scenarios with your family, so not to frighten them, but so you can actually make them aware of whatever plan you come up with and so that you are in some way prepared because the, you don't want to be planning during a major incident, if I can put it that way. The time to have thought about what you're going to do is beforehand, before the adrenaline rush, before all the damage, before you know anything like that happens. And a little bit of preparation is worth an awful lot of value. And if you know, um, to, to go specifically to the nuclear threat, if you know five facts that I'm quite happy to give everybody, you can double your chances of survival. Hmm. What are those? Um, first of all, and it's very old-fashioned, duck and cover. Um, if you see all the flashlights of hell going off combined with all the lightning in the world in one go, it's a, a, um, a pretty good sign that a major event has occurred. And the best thing you can do is duck and cover. And if, you're, if you even think you're close to it, when I say duck and cover, I mean get flat on the ground, crawl under something if you can, but get down. But just by dropping from vertical to horizontal, you reduce your profile by 90%. And you therefore reduce the target of blast and radiation and everything else by a lot. Oh, interesting. You know, I, you want to think about radiation that way. You think it would just equally distribute itself. But if you get low, is it kind of like smoke in a way where, you know, if you're in a building, there's a lot of fire. If you get down low, there's a better chance of you being able to survive? Um, yes, if you get down low, there is certainly a better chance of survival. Now, I mean, radiation is instant, pretty much instantaneous initially from the blast and we know from Hiroshima and Nagasaki which is the one time it's happened for real about 40,000 casualties at the event but another 100,000 very quickly thereafter from a combination of burns and radiation sickness and then another 100,000 over the following years from radiation sickness mm -hmm. so duck and cover I mean if you're not immediately blown to pieces as it were then just by ducking down, you can probably avoid the worst effects of the blast, even, a, even of a nuclear blast. And since most people will be further away, as it were, there is a time interval between you seeing the flashlights of hell or hearing uh, um, and the blast wave arriving. So yeah. that gives you a certain, you know, it can be seconds, it could be a couple of minutes. Likewise with debris falling out back out of the sky, you can imagine that if a nuclear bomb did go off in a city, it would be throwing chunks of masonry many miles. And what goes up comes back down. Um, mm -hmm. So, again, getting flat, you're protecting yourself. Yeah, and that's that's interesting because they talk about this in the terms of tornadoes. Like if you hear the the warning, uh, you know, yep. get to the lowest level of the house, or if you don't have a lower level, get to the interior of the house, stay down low. Yep. You know, make sure there's no Absolutely. windows around you, things like that. So there's other similar thoughts that that go along, and that's if a nuke goes off. And but other yep. things too could be happening. You know, there's all kinds of different explosions or uh, things that could be happening Absolutely. at any given time. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, and as you mentioned earlier, an EMP, for example, will have effects where it, it's not the same immediate preparations and reactions. But if you prepared a little bit ahead of time, so you've got, say, a, a backpack, a small backpack with a couple of bottles of water and a spare pair of underpants and maybe a bit of toilet roll in it, 
you're better off than not. The other thing to remember about any event like this is it's not going to happen when it's convenient and you are prepared. It's going to happen when you're in bed or more likely when you're on your way to the shops or you're picking on your way to pick the kids up from school. Um, but if I may yeah. go back to the five major points, we've, we've covered duck and cover. The second one is and I mentioned how radiation kills a lot of people afterwards, and that's the big one that you really can do quite a lot to avoid. The second thing is to protect your airway. Improvise a dust mask now with the with the epidemic going on. Most of us have got surgical masks to some extent, but a surgical mask isn't a dust mask. Um, so even if you're wearing a surgical mask, wrap some clothing around it to increase the effect because hmm. it's inhaling radioactive dust that will make you very, very ill or kill you. Hmm. What about um, people that flee because in the movies when something like that happens they rush home they say yep. grab everything you can put it in the car and we're getting out of here uh which right. was it better for you to hunker down and stay and try to uh, figure out something or is it better for you to hop in the car and just head out into the boonies where you're trying to get away from any major areas okay it, it, that depends and that's where you do an assessment and the thing about having thought it through and having a plan is that it allows you to react with the surge of adrenaline in anything, in anything else in the best possible manner to increase your chances of survival. Now, I cover in detail. I put a booklet online at londoncenter.org. And if you look on my name, Tim, Timothy Wilson, on the site, you can actually get a full copy of the entire pamphlet, book booklet, call it what you want, which covers all of this in detail. Um, it is better to run away if you can but you may not be able to it, there will be a zone of utter devastation there will be a zone outside that of extreme damage you may be trapped in that damage you may not you may not be able to get out though i looked at manhattan when i lived there and just said you know that there is no realistic plan for evacuating the island of manhattan mm -hmm. so what do you do and looking around there, there are bomb shelters on manhattan there are cellars on Manhattan. There is the subway. There are all these places. And you're absolutely right. What you want to do is get as low down as you can and as much between you and the outside world as you can. So you want to be in an inside room, low down, with a lot of concrete between you and the outside. Mm. And bathrooms are always good to think about because bathrooms also have running water, which is important for something I shall tell, else I'll tell you about in a second. Yeah, and that's part of the supplies and, and what you could do. Sometimes I think about those survival right. movies. They all run the water as fast as they can to try to store what they can, and anything that could store water seems to be a, a common thread if they're not packing the car and getting out of there. But then you wonder, you know, would you rather be stuck in your house with all the supplies or would you get in the car? What if you get stranded in your car, and how worse is it if all you were were sitting in your well, car? And, and that's the world around you. So, man, there's all kinds of things that could happen. Absolutely, and cars are not a good protection against radiation. So what you need to know, um, you, you need to, after you've improvised, duck and cover for the first thing, and then as things in the immediate aftermath of debris raining down or whatever, improvise a dust mask, then stop and think. And if you can, take shelter and avoid dust contamination. And to, yeah. what you need to understand then is what's called the 7 and 48-hour rules, and these are really important. After seven hours, 90% of the dust has settled down and 90% of the radiation has gone away. 
After 48 hours, 99% of the dust has settled and 99% of the radiation has gone away. Mm. So that makes a big difference. Again, depending on how close you are to the whole thing, should you run or should you stay? It depends. But your idea of run home um, may not be the wisest thing to do. And obviously, if you were going to pick the kids up from school, your first reaction would probably be to immediately go and get them. If you make yourself a casualty, you're not helping your kids. Mm. So you might be wisest to take shelter immediate to where you are. Should you take the car? Well, first of all, there is this EMP effect of, of vehicles. Plus, everybody else will be trying to get out of Dodge. So the chances of a free run in your car are very low, in my opinion. Mm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that, that's a big part of it. And the things that people don't understand with these EMPs, uh, one of the big things when we talk about these is that it could be naturally occurring. And then we're talking about a worldwide yep. event. We're not talking about just something that is targeted on certain cities. If there's a worldwide event, I think some people are really concerned because some people are going to sit there waiting for help. That's not going to come because it's not like a natural disaster where they send all the resources to one centralized location to try to help people that are affected. If it's a worldwide event, you're, you're on your own, man. And because yeah, everyone uh, is, is going to be on their own. A major solar storm could have a very similar effect. I doubt it would actually be worldwide, but it would certainly be huge enough. It could, for example, take out the whole of North America. Yeah. Um, well, wh whatever side's facing the sun or whatever at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Damaging to the satellites, um, the communication, anything like that. I mean, oh, uh, do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to keep talking about this. Absolutely. So you can find them online at the London Center. And by the way, uh, LondonCenter.org is where you could go and see some of the work and some of the preparation things that have been prepared for you to check out. And Lieutenant Colonel Tim Wilson will continue our conversation with them next on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. Joining us is Lieutenant Colonel Tim Wilson. He was uh, part of the operations intelligence during the Cold War as a British officer now here in the U.S. and trying to find ways to survive if there is an attack on the grid or something happens that takes it down. He's part of the London Center for Policy, LondonCenter.org. You can find him on there. And thanks again for coming on and talking about this topic. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Ryan. And Basically, in the time that remains, I just say that the big question that you have to cover in your own mind is whether to go or whether to stay. And find the best shelter you can. You may want to stay for seven hours before you try and get out, 48 hours before you get out. But when you go to get out, you, as a rough rule of thumb, you're going to need to go at least 15 miles across the wind. You never walk downwind from, an, a new, uh, from a blast like this. You never walk towards it. You walk across the wind. If you do that, 15 miles should be enough. And most people can do two miles an hour as long as they're only carrying, say, 20 pounds in a backpack. Of course, you could add more stores in a stroller, but you don't need your laptop. It isn't going to work. Phones probably aren't going to work. The EMP effect of a nuclear blast is the EMP effect that will take out electricity, phones, everything usable like that. And it'll be a big enough emergency. You can't rely on others to get you out. So like I say, your first, uh, my, my fifth and final major point is be prepared to walk 15 miles crosswind. Not looking forward to that. So what are the most important things to have on you? So water, I'm assuming is number one. Yeah. I, on my, uh, in my, on my, uh, 
piece that I wrote, uh, I, there's checklists for the sort of thing you might want to carry. But uh, basically, dust masks uh, depends how long you want to, how long you're going, you think you're going to have to be. But bottled water, chocolate, or similar high energy food. Garbage bags are great. You can use them even as a sort of anti-radiation suit. Um, the other thing that I would say is if you have got dust on you, you need to wash off in running water. And on, in Manhattan, for example, that to me meant I would head for the Hudson and jump into it, even in the winter, mm-hmm. because hypothermia is less of a threat than radiation uh, wow. in, in you the know, air. And, and once you get yeah. out, you can, walk, you can walk and get dry by using energy that way. Yeah, and this is something I think people in the military, like this is a difference between an average everyday Joe versus someone that has training. They think this way. You know, if, if you've had some training, you think about survival, and this could be difficult for other people to think about. So how do you motivate someone to try to prepare for this if it's a difficult topic for them to prepare for? Um, like I say, my, my firm belief is that if you've thought through and if you have a plan, but what's the worst thing that could happen to you and then think about a plan for it. And you, ahead of time, you, if you prepare an emergency checklist for what should be in that go bag, that go bag just containing dust masks, bottled water, some chocolates, some garbage bags, maybe a few bucks in cash, odd things, uh, to- moist towelettes, for example, and maybe a torch, if it'll still work, but a pocket knife. All of that in the bag, that's like maybe 10 pounds in weight. Why can't you keep that ready and keep another one in the car? Yeah, it's a good question. And if you've had this question. conversation with your kids, they know where it is as well. They know what to do. And you should talk then about where would we meet up? You know, if this happens, what do we do? What happens if you're at the mall and terrorists strike and there's a mass shooting event? The kids are off shopping somewhere else. The wife's in a third place. Do you go charging towards the sound of the gunfire to try and find them? Or do you walk out to your car knowing that that's where they're going to meet you? Oh, Just wow. Talk about yeah. it. It's Just hard. talk it's- about it. This thing, this is the stuff that keeps dads up at night, <laughs> thinking about yeah, things like this. Yeah, and this is the sort of thing that dads can sleep better if they've talked to the wife and the kids about it, and the right. mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, I get everyone needs to be involved. So again, uh, the exactly. website is londoncenter.org, and you've actually put some notes, preparation, things like that on there. That, that's where people can yep. go to find that? Yep. Yeah, all right. Well, do, do you sleep well at night, know, uh, knowing everything you know, or are you too afraid knowing everything you know? No, I sleep well at night because I've done what I can to prepare for any type of emergency I can think of. Yeah. And I have a pretty active imagination. So, no, I'm, you know, without going into being a full prepper or anything like that, I haven't dug a bomb shelter or whatever, but I have a plan to deal with most emergency situations. And that gives me the confidence to say, if I'm not killed outright or, you know, broken into pieces, then I'll survive. Yeah. Just we only have about a minute left. But just one other quick question. Is it better for you to stay to your own family or is it better to band with some of your neighbors and pool your time and your resources? A, a team working together is always stronger than the ind- individual. Um, but you're, you then have to balance that with the threat of some people will be looking for the opportunity. Some people will take it advantage of you you have to assess for yourself at the time what is the yeah. threat to you and whether if you're well prepared and others see you're well prepared they may get jealous of you mm. um i like my neighbors like, so 
Yeah, it's, it's good yeah, to have well, a relationship like the with them. Work with the neighbors. <laughs> I, I have yeah. the same thing organized locally. I have gr- a group of friends that all know, know me. We that I know them. We trust each other. We all have. We have a mm-hmm. sort of integ- loosely integrated plan. That's great, and it's good to to know that you're surrounded by people that have a plan that probably helps too to get rid of some of that randomness the the, the uncertainty around what could happen uh, outside of your control um londoncenter.org is the website they can find your work on there lieutenant colonel tim wilson thank you so much for coming on tonight to overnight america great pleasure thank you ryan and he joins us on the bomberito automotive group guest line this is how i think a lot of the times and it's so good to know that um this is the right way to think preparations what ifs are you prepared uh and sometimes it could be uncomfortable knowing that this sort of thing could happen and knowing that you're not prepared the way you want to be prepared all right so joining us after the break brad young from harris dow fisher and young on the supreme court ruling earlier today he's going to talk about some of the uh, uh lawsuits against donald trump with the supreme court next on overnight america KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 